Well, I'm glad you're here this morning. If you're here for the first time, welcome. And you can take that Connect card that is in your worship folder, fill that out. In fact, everybody can. And you can put that in the offering as it comes by. But if it's your first time here, I invite you just to take that card and go out to the Connect table out here and just say, it's my first time, and give that to them. they got a gift for you. So I'm glad you're here. So we are in a teaching series where we're talking about questions that people have where maybe you wonder, does God say something about this topic or what, has, what does the Bible have to say about that? And so we're looking at the questions everybody asks but maybe doesn't really want to ask themselves. Today, the question we're going to look at is, does God care how I vote? Which is a really interesting question, right? It's very compelling, especially considering we are in an election year. We are in a contentious election year. I think every year seems to be like a contentious one, but this one seems a little bit more. So to kick things off, and since we're talking about voting, I thought that I would give you a little audience participation. We get to take a little survey together, and you get to participate. So you throw your hand up for each of these questions. Don't worry, you won't embarrass yourself or anybody else. These are easy questions to answer. So first one, so we're in the midst of a presidential election. How many of you have been watching the... The convention, either the Republican convention last week or you're going to watch the Democrat convention this next week. Anybody watching at all? Yeah? How many of you say, what conventions? <laughs> right? All right, honesty time. Did any of you watch any of the presidential debates when they were on, Democrat or Republican? Did you watch any of it? You get credit if you watched even five minutes of it, right? I'll be honest with you. I really try to stay engaged in politics. I tried to watch the convention. I tried to watch the debates. What usually ends up happening is I get a little way into it and I go, I'll just catch the recap on the news. I can't do this. Anybody else like me like that? I'll, yeah. Or you watch Stephen Colbert. That's where you get your news, right? Or the internet, BuzzFeed. All right, so how many of you, just be honest, how many of you have actually been enjoying the drama and the contention in this debate? Okay, that's good, that's good, it's fine, be honest. How many of you are kind of like, yeah, this is awesome, this is better than House of Cards or <laughs> reality TV, except the whole fate of the nation's in the balance, but other than that, right, who cares? All right, so how many of you are like, this, I think a lot of your hands are actually going up, how many of you would say, I actually could do without the drama and the contentiousness? <laughs> that's like most Americans right there. So if that's how you feel, I think you agree with this lady. Her name is um, Mary Ann Noland. And here's the obituary that came out in May of this year. Faced with the prospect of voting for either Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton, Mary Ann Noland of Richmond, Virginia, chose instead to pass into the eternal love of God on Sunday, May 15, 2016, at the age of 68. Like, I can just see Mary, like, I'm not interested in either one of them. Lord, take me now. It's my time to go. So that's all right. How many of you get a little nervous when the subject of politics comes up at home or at work? Yeah, like, yeah, like you start feeling that anxious feeling. You want to change the subject. You, you know, how many of you, just be honest, you're the one who brings it up just because you want to get a response. None of you admit it, but some of you are related to that person, right? They just like to stick it to me. They like, they know, you know what buttons to push in some people. You get them going and they're talking for an hour and a half about whatever it is, Democrat or Republican. All right, last question. This is the most personal question, but again, don't get nervous. It's okay. I'm not going to ask you who you could vote for. Like, if you could, you know, like, who could you vote for but it's not on the ballot? I'm not even going to ask you who you're going to vote for, but I would like to know this. Has anybody made your mind up already? I'm not raising my hand. I, I, like, by the way, just so you, again, to make you feel comfortable, through the whole sermon today, if you think you know who I'm voting for, you don't. I'm not going there, so just if you think you know, it's okay. I'm not mixing that in here. Go ahead and call me Captain Obvious, but doesn't politics have a way of bringing out the worst in people? Like the, the biggest understatement of the century, right? Politics just draws this thing out of people. 
And sometimes I think that it's worse now than it ever has been. I'm enough of a student of history to know it's always been like this. So you say, well, what's different now? Because it just seems so bad. What do we have in 2016 that they didn't have in 1816? We have social media, right? We have Facebook and Twitter and and everything else. So everybody's opinion gets to go out to everyone. Now, you and I both know there are some people who have their opinions and that's fine, but it's not worthy of going out to the whole world. But those people generally are the ones who think the whole world needs to hear their opinion about something. And so you have everybody has this megaphone now to say what they were saying. And maybe the only people who ever heard them before was just the people they work with or the people they're related to or the people in their neighborhood. But now everybody. And so I think it's always been like this, but it's just louder. And so now we kind of live in this environment where, like, I love a good debate of ideas, but... Do you agree with me that it feels like it's getting a little bit toxic beyond contentiousness to a point where this is maybe not good? One of my mentors through his writing and through his preaching for a long, since I've been in college, is a guy named Dick Alexander. He's a pastor and a a professor. He's retired now. And he was just writing something a week or two ago. I thought it was very, very interesting. I want to share it with you. He said he was doing some international travel. And as he was in the Amsterdam airport, about to hand his passport over to the gate agent, a thought occurred to him. He said, as I handed my United States of America passport over, I thought to myself, and I got goosebumps as I thought it, you know, half the world's population would give everything they have to have this passport. And he handed it over, and he got it back, and as he was walking down the ramp, he said there were international newspapers out on display. And as he looked at them, all of them featured the United States presidential election on the front cover, uh, headlines and pictures. And he says, I read them, even though I didn't know all the languages, he said, I realized the whole world is looking at us and laughing. They're looking at what we're doing and they're laughing at us. And he says this, he had another thought. He said, maybe it's time for Christians to step away from the madness. Maybe it's time for us to sit down and shut up. Just stop screaming our culture war issues and our answers at each other. Just sit down, be quiet, and reflect. You know, I think maybe he's on to something here. We're asking the question, does God care how we vote? I'm going to go ahead and answer that right now. You're like, oh, good, we get out. No, no. but I will tell you, does God care how we vote? Yes. I did not say, does God care who we vote for? That's a whole different question. I'm not going to give you a Christian voter's guide and tell you exactly who you should vote for in, in the local, in the state, and the national election. That's not my role here as a pastor, and I hope you don't think that I should do that. You're wise people. You can pray and think about this. Who you vote for, let's talk about how you vote. Because how do we, as people who live in this day and age, in the privilege, absolute privilege, of living in the United States of America in 2016, where we get to select our government that represents us at the state level, the local level, the national level, we get to vote for the policies that we live under and guided by. So on the one hand, we have this incredible privilege that, as I quoted Dick Alexander, everybody would love to be here. On the other hand, we're also, many of us are Christians who follow Jesus. We, we seek God's wisdom. How do we live in that world and seek that? Does God have an opinion about how we do that? And I would say, yeah. I've got some biblical thoughts that I want to share with you this morning to talk about how we vote as Christians. Those of us who are over 18 and some of us who just tuck this away if you're not quite 18 yet and you can't vote. So the first thing I want to bring to your mind is let's, let's remember the role of human government as God established it. This would be really helpful to us as we think about how to vote. And one place that I want you to go ahead and turn to in the Bible would be Romans chapter 13. Because it answers that question. Why, why do we have government in the first place? So this is going to be very helpful for us. I'm going to start reading in verse 1 of Romans 13. 
You can turn there if you want. Use your Bible app. It'll also be on the screen. We're going to look at several verses today. In your worship folder, there's a place that has kind of an outline of what I'm talking about, so you can see what the verses are coming up, and you can start looking for them if you want to. Otherwise, just follow along. Uh, The Apostle Paul wrote what we're about to read, and he wrote it to a church in the city of Rome. Keep in mind his context. This is 2,000 years ago, so he's writing to Christians in the city of Rome, Roman Empire, you know, Emperor Nero, all that. That's, That's their world right now. Paul says this, Everyone must submit to governing authorities. For all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is actually rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities don't strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what's right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servant sent for your good. If you're doing wrong, of course you should be afraid. They have the power to punish you. They're God's servants, sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do what is wrong. It will stop there. Stay with me on these verses. What, according to the Apostle Paul, is the role of human government in the world? Two things. You look at the end of verse 3. First of all, Paul says, the government, as God put it here and gave them authority to, to lead and to rule, is to honor people who do what is right. It's one of the two purposes of government, to to make sure that people do the right thing. The end of verse 4 talks about the other role of government, which is what? If you're doing wrong, what's the government going to do? They're going to punish you, right. So, to summarize this, in fact, I I just want to go ahead and look at something in 1 Peter before I summarize this. There's the same thought, just more succinct. 1 Peter 2.14, the Apostle Peter says, You must obey governors because they are sent by the emperor to punish criminals and praise good citizens. Really simply put, in my view, what the Bible is teaching is God puts people in charge in the world to make sure that the common good increases, to hold up those things that are good, to reward people who do well, to make sure that a good way of life continues, and to restrain evil. To make sure that people who are intent on doing the wrong thing and doing harm to other people, taking things that are not theirs, taking people's lives, that they don't get to do that. And if they do do that, that they're not without consequences. So they're creating a stable society. This is why God puts government in place. Whoever happens to be in office. You know, I I think about this a lot. I don't know, you don't have to raise your hand, but have you ever done any foreign travel? I think one of the requirements of being an American citizen is that you ought to have to leave the country at some point. If only because once you leave the country, you realize how good you have it here. When you go somewhere else where there is not the rule of law, where you don't know if somebody's actually in charge or if the people who are in charge are actually corrupt or good, it makes you appreciate so much more what we have here. As flawed as it is, whether or not you voted for the guy in office or not, we really have it good here. I, was, I just got a newsletter from one of the missions we support here at Connection. Living Water Christian Mission down in Gonaives, Haiti. Salonique Adolphe is the director there. He's a pastor of the, one of the churches, oversees a whole organization. It's phenomenal. And our church offering supports what they're doing there. The churches, the Bible college, the school, the farm, the radio station, all the different things that they do, we're, we're a part of that. And he wrote this about what's going on in Haiti right now. I, I know it's probably not top on your radar screen, but... Here's what's going on. He said, we are in our fifth week here in Haiti without a president. We don't know when we'll have one. The two major opposing groups are doing their best to destroy each other. Here's the the big thing I took away from it. In the meantime, the life of the poor is even harder. 
Now, this gloomy situation doesn't dilute the fact that God is God. His plans have always come to pass, no matter what's going on in one's country or around the world or in one's family. If you're a Christian, all is well. Yeah, I really appreciate that he said that. At the same time, you get the idea human government has a huge role to play in the quality of our life. And that's what I want to keep in mind as I go into the voting booth. That's what I would encourage you to keep in mind as you are contemplating, thinking about, even maybe praying about who you would vote for, is I want to make a choice for president or congress or judge or alderman or whatever. I want the person in office who gets it. They, they know on some level, whether they're Christian or not, they, they get it that they have a responsibility beyond themselves, that they're there to protect the way of life, to protect people who are just wanting to live their life and do well, and to make sure that people who don't want to go along with that aren't allowed to do that. This is a good place to ask an obvious question. Does God really want us to automatically vote for a Christian candidate? Really, honestly, it's a good question, Right? If there's a Christian on the ballot, should you automatically vote for him? And uh, this is a place where, I'm just going to warn you now, you may disagree with me. Before you send me off an angry email or corner me afterwards, just think about what I say. And you may still not agree with me, and I'd love to have the discussion, but uh, I'm going to go and tell you what I think, and that is, I don't know that you always need to vote for the Christian candidate. Let me put it this way. I'm not sure that the Christian candidate, if there is one on the ticket at anything, is always the best candidate. I would hope so. I would love to have a phenomenal leader who is a Christian. But if I have to choose, I would rather have a good leader who understands what the role they have been given by God is rather than to have a guy who's a Christian or a woman who's a Christian, but they're not really that good at leading. I'll give you a perfect example of this. Ever heard of Millard Fillmore? Of course, yeah, he was like president back 200 years ago, right? So Miller Fillmore, arguably one of the worst presidents in United States history. Historians and scholars rarely agree on anything. This is one that just everybody agrees on. Miller Fillmore comes like near the bottom of everybody's list of rankings of the presidents. Bad president. I was reading up on it. And by the way, if you think I'm picking on any party, he was a Whig. He wasn't a Republican or a Democrat, so not picking on anybody. Miller Fillmore, the more I read about him, because I was like, why was he a bad president? He was a really good guy. He was a very likable guy. And he had many virtuous traits. He was just a horrible leader. He was just not a good, he was not a good president. Somebody else would have done a better job in that position. And he was a Christian. Now let's talk about another president. You talk about, if you were to make a list of your top three presidents in the United States history, would Abraham Lincoln make your list? He would make mine. Abraham Lincoln, in my view, is probably one of the world's best leaders all through history. If I took my five top leaders of all time, of not just the United States history, but the world, Abraham Lincoln would be near the top. Phenomenal leader. We're sitting here today living the legacy of some of the things that he did or led the country through. Abraham Lincoln, by all accounts, was probably not a Christian. Did he believe in God? Did he seek God? Yes, But as far as we know, there is absolutely no record that he ever professed a faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, there's things that kind of indicate that he did not profess a faith in Jesus Christ, which is the definition, by the way, of a Christian, right? It's not that you believe in God. A Christian is somebody who's put their complete trust and faith in Jesus. Abraham Lincoln, phenomenal leader, would have elected him. I would have voted for him every time, but he wasn't a Christian. So my, my question is, do you vote for the Christian? I would hope that there's always a godly Christian who's a powerful leader. But what do you do when... And maybe there will be a time when somebody you're voting for, there's not a good Christian choice. What do you do? 
Well, I want, first of all, the person who understands why God put government in place. I want the person who will make sure that we have a peaceful society. And there's more at stake here than just, you know, a good life. I want you to turn to another place in the Bible. I'm going to show you why this is important to us as Christians about how well the government does. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Listen to this. The Apostle Paul, again, he's writing to... Paul is writing to Timothy, which is why this is called Timothy. Timothy's a pastor in a church. And Paul's telling him about how things should go in the church, in the gatherings as they meet for worship. So Paul said, Timothy, make sure you guys pray for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good. It pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, we're going to pause there. Paul's pointing out something very important here. When government does its job, it makes it easier for us to do our job. God wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. Our job, folks, as Connection Christian Church, you know this. Our job is, we say this every week. This is, we're here to connect people to God and to each other through Jesus Christ. It's easier to do that in a context of freedom, in a place of peace, than it is to do it in a place of chaos. So, when the government is ensuring peace and order and stability and stays out of the way of the church, we get to do what we're best at, which is share people with people about how your life can be changed and transformed by Jesus. So, you know, it's, and that's why Paul is saying it is so important to pray for whoever is in government. Whether or not you voted for them, whether or not they're a Christian, you pray for them. And that's a prayer that God's going to listen to and honor because God wants order and stability in the world. He doesn't want chaos and evil because it just brings human suffering to a whole new level. So, again, this is one of the filters I think through as I'm voting. And sometimes we have very difficult choices to make. I get it. And again, I'm not trying to tell you how to vote. I'm just telling you that we should be very prayerful and think, who's God, who's the person that's going to allow your message to spread? Now, here's another filter that I use as I think about it. As you vote, as I vote, I want to remember what my primary citizenship is. Where my primary citizenship lies. I'll tell you what I mean by that. I'm actually going to take you to another verse in the Bible. If you want to turn to Philippians chapter 3. This is also something something the Apostle Paul wrote. And he wrote it again to another church that he'd actually started. And these are friends of his. Listen to what Paul says there. I'm going to look down and start in verse 18. He said, I've often told you before, and I'm going to say it again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, Paul's going to go on and describe what they're like. He says, their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind's on earthly things. Now, look at verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they will be like his glorious body. Okay, so let's, let's unpack that. Paul says you can divide the entire population of the world into two different groups. You have the people who are enemies of the cross of Christ, they're not Christians, they've not submitted to Jesus, and the people who have. Now, let's talk about this group over here. How did he describe them? What's their ultimate destination? You can go ahead and throw the verses back up if you would. Or look in your Bible. Their ultimate destination is destruction. Right? What's their ultimate authority? Who's their God? Stomach, their belly. It's just a way of saying their appetites, their urges, their glands, whatever feels good, do it. That's people who do not know Jesus. That's what rules their life. 
Okay? What, what do they think is awesome? What's their glory? What's their Instagram feed look like? Shameful things. Things that you go, I don't think I would have posted that. Okay? That's People who don't know God, they think things are awesome that are not awesome. That really, you should actually look out of shame. I'll give you a perfect example of that. An author, a uh, speaker named Bruce Larson was on vacation with his family. They were out in California. They were driving the coastal highway. And as they were, you know, the ocean's over there. And they're driving along and said, nature camp down toward the ocean. So they're like, let's go. This sounds awesome. There might be a beach down there. So they turned down this gravel road and started driving down it. And they're about halfway down the road to the ocean. Five people come riding up the road on bikes, completely naked. Not a stitch of clothing on. And Bruce said, I've got my whole family in the car. And my young son in the back seat, as they passed by, he's just like, driving. Hope they didn't see it. His son in the back seat said, Dad, did you see that? Yes, son. Dad, they not a one of them was wearing their helmet. (laughs) Different standards in the world. You know, people who don't know Jesus as hopefully people who know Jesus have different standards. And where's their focus? Their focus is on earthly things. It's on the here and now. Now, we've got a whole different group of people over here, right? People who are following Jesus, who are learning to change their life. Like, we're all in progress, I get that, but we're starting to learn a new way to live. So, where is our ultimate destination? Heaven. New heaven, new earth. What, what's our God? Jesus Christ who died for us. Right? That's the one who calls the shots for us. What is our ultimate glory? Things that are good and noble and honorable and peaceable. And where is our focus? It's not on earthly things. We're looking forward to this day when Jesus comes back. And he's going to come back. And and all the people who have ever died will come back to life. Everybody's getting a new physical body. And we're going to live in a new heaven and a new earth. It's going to be perfect. Everybody who's there actually wants to do the right thing all the time because it's the right thing to do, not because anybody's telling them they ought to. So I, I get this picture that if we're citizens of heaven... We kind of got this dual citizenship. We live here, but we're actually looking to something in the future. A couple things I take away from that. If I'm a citizen of heaven, I need to act like it. I need to live like it. So John Hess, Yoder, was a missionary over in the Vietnam, Laos area. You can kind of get that picture in your mind of where he was at. And he said he found something interesting about the pre-colonial era of Vietnam and Laos. Before the French came in and everybody came over and set up things. There were kings over Vietnam and Laos. And in the border region, it was difficult to determine who was part of what kingdom. They had a very interesting way to decide how to tax people. So what they would do is they determined by their behavior what kingdom they belonged to. So if you ate short grain rice, if your house was built on stilts, and you decorated with an Indian-style dragon, you were part of the kingdom of Laos. No matter where you lived, you paid your taxes and you gave your loyalty to the king of Laos. That's, that's how you lived. You lived like the Laotians. In if you, on the other hand, ate long grain rice, built your house on the ground, and you had a Chinese-style dragon, they just said, obviously, you're Vietnamese, and you pay your tribute to the king of Vietnam. You determined how someone lived, and that's how you determine where they were a citizen of, not by where they actually lived. And that's the same thing for us. We live in the United States. We live in the world. We live in the here and now. But people ought to look at how we live and say, oh, you're obviously a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. I can tell because your focus is different. The things that you think are cool are different. The, your whole hope and your, your sense of everything's going to work out okay. It tells me that you're a Christian. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Let me ask you a question. Think about 
the last several things that you posted, if you posted anything political on any social media, would the, or, or any conversation you had about people that you do not agree with that you're definitely not going to vote for, would the words love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control describe the things that you said or the things you posted? Because you know that's what the Bible says should characterize a Christian, right? Joe Boyd points this out. It's hard to look at the current political climate and think of those kind of words, but that's how we're supposed to be characterized as. When we're talking about politics, the rules don't change, folks. If we're members of the kingdom of the citizen and citizens of the kingdom of heaven, we should talk like that all the time. I don't care if you didn't vote for that person or that you don't plan to vote for that person. You should still speak respectfully of them. You should pray for them. You should certainly... Now, I'm not saying don't have a good, healthy debate. I'm not saying you can't have an opinion... But shouldn't there be something different that characterizes the way we talk to one another and about people? It doesn't matter if they're in the public domain. I still don't think the rules are off about slander and about saying things that are uh, malicious. We should have a different kind of conversation as people who are members of the kingdom of heaven. Again, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have an opinion. I'm just asking you to consider this. A thousand years from now, are you going to care who won the election in 2016? A thousand years from now, we will be alive still part of hopefully a new heaven and new earth if Jesus has come back by then, but certainly still alive somewhere. We need to keep things in perspective. I'm first of all a Christian. I'm holding on to Jesus. And when I'm holding on to Jesus, there's not a whole lot of room left in my hands for Republican, Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, Undecided, I don't know, right? So folks, we're first of all Christians, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, and then we're Americans. Let's remember that. We're all together. And then we're whatever political party you identify with. But first of all, we're Christians. And then I want you to make sure that you remember this too. If I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, my hope is in Jesus, not in a political party. And I'm, I'm, I'm a Gen Xer. You can see that looking at me. Cynicism is just hardwired into me. I'm skeptic, whatever. Right? It just comes so naturally to me. But there's something else at work in the world other than just the cynicism that says that everybody's out for their own good and that nobody is ever going to do anything right. There is actually good coming into the world through Jesus. You know, I was, uh, I've seen some things. Um, Andy Stanley's a, a pastor down in Atlanta, Georgia. And he was talking to his church at the beginning of the year. He's talking primarily to people who are 45 and older about living the rest of their life with integrity. But he had something to say about this. And I was going to quote him, and I thought, you know what? He just says it better than I do. So I want you to actually watch what Andy Stanley has to say about this idea of where our hope ultimately lies. Watch this. Now, real quick, I want to say something to a couple groups, all right? First, I want to say something to all of you who are 45 years old and older. You don't have to raise your hand, okay? 45 and older. Look up here. Many of you have grown weary and you've lost heart. And the reason is because you have fixed your eyes on a political system. You have fixed your eyes on a political leader. You have fixed your eyes on the good old days. You fixed your eyes on the economy. And you are, you are growing weary and you need to knock it off. And I'll tell you why. Because you are scaring the children. <laughs> you are. Now look up here, look, look. The generation that's coming along behind us are going to take their cue from us. And here's the cue we're giving them. Oh my goodness, if we don't get the right person in the, in the, you know, elected in office, it's the end of the world. If we don't fix the economy, it's the end of the world. If we don't have religious freedom like my mama and my grandmama had religious freedom, it's the end of the world. Oh my goodness, if we don't get the right laws passed, if we don't have the right policies, it's all coming unraveled. 
Nothing could be further from the truth. Look up here. Government and government matters, policies matter, but neither of those matter as much as men and women who understand this word. Faith, confidence that God keeps his promises and that nothing can thwart the plans of God. We know this from the Old Testament. We know this from the New Testament. We know this because the most powerful person in Judea, Pilate, looked at Jesus and said, what is truth? Crucify him. Game over. It's done. Let's move on. And the only reason you know who Pilate is, the only reason you know who Pilate is, is because you know the story of Jesus. Pilate, the governor, becomes a foot note in the story of Jesus. In fact, most of the first century people you know about, you know about because they're part of the story of Jesus. We have nothing to fear. So all of you people over 45, knock it off. You need to model for the next generation that God is in control. God can be trusted. Get involved in the political system. Get involved in culture. Get involved in your society. But you never fix your eyes there. You fix your eyes on Jesus. I told you he said it better than I could have, right? Let's be involved. Let's vote. Let's pray as we go into this election. Does God care how you vote? Yes, he wants you to vote with an attitude of faith. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, we eagerly await a Savior from heaven, not Washington, D.C. There's only so much that human government can do. It's got a great role in the world, but it's not everything. The hope of the world is Jesus, and we carry that hope, and we carry that message, and it's up to us to share it. And I hope that you're putting your trust in Jesus. It's only Jesus that can fix what's wrong in our world. It's only Jesus that can fix what's wrong in your life, in your marriage, in your finances. And he's the one that you and I need to trust.